going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. I'm still here down in sunny Myrtle Beach area. Um, played golf today for the third time since I've been down here. There's been rain on and off. Um, we made it through about 13 holes or so when the skies opened up, the lightning started to hit. So we had to uh, get a rain check. It started pouring. So we'll get back out on the links on Sunday or so. I'm going to have to try to hit up the driving range in the morning or sometime tomorrow because I have the yips or I'm in a rut or something. I'm just a um, baseball player by nature and, you know, golfer, self-taught golfers. And once in a while, when I start playing too much, go figure, um, I lose my swing. I'm getting nothing off the tee and it's just been, you know, a total mess, but we'll get it figured out. And, uh, so just relaxing now, had a late dinner, um, set up a movie for my mom and my grandparents in the other room before they watched that, uh, the new Netflix, uh, movie that came out today with Ryan Gosling, the gray man. I did not watch it, um, while I was preparing for this podcast. So it's a little bit late here on the East coast. I'm also trying to keep up with the Yankees because, you know, baseball, pretty much came back yesterday. There was only a couple games yesterday. Yankees lost a doubleheader to the Houston Astros. Um, and this season's going to be all for naught if they face them in the playoffs because they cannot beat them. It, it's just disgusting. So baseball is officially back today. Everybody's playing. Yankees holding on to a slim 7-6 lead because none other than Araldis Chapman came in with a 7-4 to four lead, excuse me, 7-3 to three lead, served up a three-run homer in the seventh inning, so it's 7-6. Now Michael King just got an elbow problem, and it looks like he could be out for the season for all I know. I just anticipate the worst when I when it comes to arm and elbow issues. So we'll have lost Chad Green and now Michael King, who's been our pretty much eighth inning guy. So we'll see if the Yankees can hold on against the Red Hot Orioles. In other news, the Baltimore, uh, excuse me, the Blue Jays, Toronto Blue Jays are up 27 to five on the Red Sox. It's now bottom eight, but they had 27 runs by the sixth inning. The record is like 36 runs or 38 runs, but that was in like 1897. The modern day record is at 2007. The Texas Rangers against the Orioles scored 30 runs. So we'll see if they can break that. There was an inside the park home run in this game. Another Red Sox outfielder not being able to, to to find a fly ball. I don't know if these guys need glasses or whatnot, but this happened against the Yankees as well. Um, inside the park, Grand Slam. Then a pop-up in the infield, they just let drop for more runs to come in. It's been an absolute disaster. I'm sure position players are in there. As I look, that game actually just went to the ninth inning. The Blue Jays have a runner on second base with no out, so we'll see what's going on there. Yankees in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, still up 7-6. Let's see if Clay Holmes can hold it down. So yeah, baseball is officially back. We'll get to that. Um, we'll get to the home run derby in a bit. We will get to the all-star game dominated by the American League yet again. Get to that. I don't have any news on Brittany Griner this week, but there's some cool stories here and there I want to get to. 
a lot of good stuff on this week's episode. It will be a little bit longer than last week's. I feel like I rushed through that, kept it a little bit short. But uh, without further ado, let's jump in. Episode 178. Here we go. Okay, so we're going to start with some football news. Um, The Cleveland Browns, they're obviously anticipating what's going to come of the Deshaun Watson saga. Of course, he settled with like 27 out of the 30 or 31 women, whatever it is. I I just lose count. It seems like it's a new one every day. So they're anticipating that he will be suspended for whether it's a year, six games, tw- whatever it is. So they needed a an insurance policy, if you will. They went out and signed Josh Rosen, the former number 10 overall pick in 2018, who will now join his sixth team in five seasons. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So obviously with them trading Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers, They needed a third quarterback, and that's where Josh Rosen comes in, which is kind of scary because I heard they brought in Josh Rosen and A.J. McCarron, and if you're going with Josh Rosen Rosen over A.J. McCarron, what does that say about A.J. McCarron? I thought he was a little bit better of a quarterback, so that's a little perplexing, Um, but Rosen will serve as the probably practice squad guy or third string guy until somebody gets hurt. The presumed starter going into the season is going to be Jacoby Brissett with Josh Dobbs behind him. Although there's really not, I wouldn't consider Josh Dobbs to be that, have that much separation over a guy like Josh Rosen who played a little bit last year with the Atlanta Falcons. So something to keep an eye on there. And then of course the big, big news was, excuse me, um, was the Arizona Cardinals inking Kyler Murray to a historic deal. So actually funny that we segue in from Josh Rosen to the Arizona Cardinals to Kyler Murray because the Cardinals were the team that selected Josh Rosen in 2018 with that 10th overall pick. I do believe he got screwed and got a bad rap because uh, I forget who the head coach there was that year. Um, Shoot, it was a black guy. Morris was it Raheem Morris it might have been Raheem Morris anyway he got screwed because he was only there for a year then they fired him and because regime change Josh Rosen got absolutely you know raked over the coals and his career was pretty much over before it started so those Cardinals have been searching for a quarterback ever since they think they have one in uh, you know Kyler Murray of course but there had been some tension rising this offseason. We, we remember back, I, I reported on this, when Kyler Murray's agent um, put out this huge statement that he wanted, that, that Murray wanted a new deal. Then Murray scrubbed his social media, you know, of any Cardinals related, you know, pictures and content. So rumors have naturally started to swirl about potential trades, et cetera. Is Kyler Murray really worth all this money? Is he like one of those elite quarterbacks? Well, yesterday they squashed all that. You know, it, it, this is usually what happens. In this generation we live in, these guys are getting paid millions upon millions of dollars, and the Cardinals had really no choice. Kyler Murray is the best option for them, whether 
no matter how you slice it, if you don't like him, he's just a running quarterback. He can't make some of the throws. He's too small, yada, yada, yada. Um, he hasn't been able to get it done in the playoffs thus far. They will be without their prized wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, for the first six games of the season. But he has proven, no matter what stat you look at, he is a top 8 to 15 quarterback, and he's going to have to be paid as such. And yesterday, the Cardinals put the kibosh on all these trade rumors, all of any of that stuff, and gave him what he wanted, a five-year $230.5 million deal with $160 million guaranteed. Oh, my God. This makes Murray's deal, that extra 500 k makes it slightly more lucrative than Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed contract. His four, He will make $46.1 million on average annually. So that's his, you know, annual average annual value. If you ever see AAV, that's what that is of his contract, which will be the second highest in NFL history behind only arguably the greatest quarterback that ever lived, or at least of our generation, my generation, Aaron Rodgers and his $50.1 million. And I just have one thing to say. I guess Murray made the right choice when he chose football over baseball. Although if he panned out as, as well as he was projected a Ricky Henderson type eighth overall pick his $46.1 million that he will make on average per year is almost more than the Oakland A's entire team salary. I think the team combined players are making about $48 million and Murray's deal is just $2 million shy of equaling the entire roster of the Oakland A's. So just let that sink in for a second. And thankfully, the Yankees won 7-6. Aaron Judge hit two home runs in this game after hitting one last night against Houston, bringing his total to, I believe, 36 now. So he's just absolutely killing it. Um, yeah, and so he's now tied the record um, with a couple of other Yankees for most multi-home run games in a season and there's like 60 plus games left to go in the in the season. It's just he's having an MVP season when he needed to most. It's just ridiculous. Okay, let's talk a little track and field and a 26 or 27 year old. He might have just turned 27 year old, uh 27 years old, that being one Noah Lyles, the American sprinter clocked in a 19.3 one second 200 meter final Thursday at the World Athletics Championship in Oregon, winning the race and breaking Michael Johnson's time of 19.32 seconds from the 1996 Olympics. That had been the best time ever by an American. It's the third fastest time in history behind. Usain Bolt's 19.19 seconds and Johan Blake's 19.26 seconds. Um, there was also an 18-year-old by the name of Arion Knighton 
who finished in third place, becoming the youngest individual sprint medalist ever at a world championships. So that's extremely cool. All right, I'm going to come back to this story and I'm going to save this for last because this is my story of the week. So let me um, go down here and skip ahead of this because um, I don't feel that I should put this in here just now. Okay, let's get to the home run derby that we saw on Monday night. It was an epic one. Um, of course, this format, Bracket style, one verse eight, two verse seven, three verse six, four ver versus five, et cetera, right? So you had Kyle Schwarber, who amongst all the candidates was the one seed because he leads the way with 29 home runs for the season. Then you had Albert Pujols as the eight seed. And then you had Pete Alonso as the two seed, two-time defending champ, right? Trying to become just one of like three guys, or I think, no, one of two guys, I think Criffey, Junior is the only one to win it three times and so on and so forth. Well, my pick going in, of course, Juan Soto. I gave you all my reasons why. I think with the contract negotiations looming and the trade rumors and everything like that, that he was just going to come out, show out, and win this thing. And the first round, we were all taken aback because a little-known rookie out of Seattle – Julio Rodriguez exploded onto the scene, blasting 32 home runs in, what, three minutes? Um, it was incredible. Corey Se Seager gave a valiant effort facing him with 24 home runs, which would have got him through against anybody else. It was just ridiculous what uh, J they call him J-Rod now, play on A-Rod, right, because he plays for Seattle. Um, just a 21-year-old ridiculous. So he moved on to the second round beating Corey Seager. Um, you had Soto facing Jose Ramirez. This was a little bit of an interesting one. Ramirez, I was, I was, you know, I was speculating what side of the plate he was going to hit on, whether it be right or left. I've still yet to see a guy. What he should have done is once he called that timeout at the halfway point, switch over to the left-handed side and start squaring him up from the left-handed uh, batter's box because he looked uncomfortable. He was trying to hit off his front foot. I think he only hit 16 or 17. Juan Soto goes, and he didn't even need his bonus time. So you got an extra 30 seconds no matter what, but if you hit 200, uh, two 440-foot home runs or longer, you would get an additional 30 seconds, so an additional one minute. And... Although Soto, I believe, got that. He didn't even need to, to go into any of that bonus time, so that was good. And a guy like J-Rod, because he went first, he didn't know when to stop, and he just kept hitting and hitting, tiring himself out. So Soto gets through in a breeze. Then he has to face the winner of Schwarber and Pujols. And this was interesting because it looked like Kyle Schwarber didn't want to be, be the guy to beat Albert Pujols in his final All-Star appearance. And... They tied with, I believe, 13. So they went to a one-minute, you know, tiebreaker, and the crowd really started to get behind pools. He ends up hitting seven, and then Schwarber goes, and I think he only hit six. So Pujols advanced past the first round, which was insane. My brother was texting me who like asking me who I liked because I was I'm down in South Carolina. I cannot bet in this state. Boo. Um 
So he texted me and I said, Juan Soto. I said, you should put $50 on Juan Soto, at least for me. Well, first he said, I like Pujols. I think Pujols is going to win. Of course, my brother just loves the long shots. He loves to, to, you know, lose his money, whatever. And he never seems to listen to me. But when I win bets, he's like, oh, you didn't tell me about this bet earlier. Yeah, well, because it, when I send it to him, if it loses, then he's going to bitch and moan at me and whatever. So I can never win. So he puts 50 on Pujols to win like 2000 or or something like that. And he's like, wow, that just happened when he beat Schwarber. And I was like, haha, yeah, but now he's facing my guy and Juan Soto. And of course, Pujols gave a little bit of a better effort in the second round, um, hitting, I think, 15, but Soto was able to best that. I was a little disappointed that Soto needed to get into bonus um, time to, to get that. I wanted him to get it in the first three minutes. Soto was the only guy, mind you, that had his pitcher move back. So they moved the L screen and the mound back. And he was the only one that wanted it a little further, excuse me, a little further back. Um, as I just get, um, an alert on my phone, the Toronto blue Jays finished the game with 28 runs to set a franchise record. 28 to five was the final. And I'm kind of glad it happened to the Red Sox. Uh, but either way, it's the AL East. So Toronto is going to be a tough team to face. Um, so back to, yeah, back to this. Yeah, so Soto beats Pujols in the semis kind of easily. And, and it was weird because Soto was the only one, again, going opposite field. He did the same thing last year, and he didn't really seem to get in much of a groove. And the catcher was kind of setting up weird and outside and standing up a little bit. So he didn't seem like he was getting into that groove going into the final round yet, but you still felt good because it's like, okay, he's in the finals. He hasn't really broken a sweat yet or needed to really try or had any close calls. And now he's got to face Julio Rodriguez, who gets to go first. So he has a huge advantage. And this kid's got to be tired because Rodriguez hit 32 again in the second round and bested the two-time defending champ in Pete Alonso, who really had a bad showing in that second round. It was kind of ugly, um, so he couldn't get out of his own way. And again, this shows why this derby is so hard to win three times, let alone three times in a row. And we'll see if Pete comes back next year, but something tells me he he will retire the home run derby um, for a while. So we had the finals where J-Rod goes first. And like I said, I knew he was going to be tired. We see this time and time again. We've seen Bobby Abreu. We've seen Josh Hamilton. These guys go off and then they end up not winning the Derby, but they're the talk of the town. Well, Julio Rodriguez goes, he doesn't even hit 20. He finishes with 18. And, and that's when I said, okay, I feel better about this. Juan Soto goes. And he's swinging and he's getting towards the end. And we don't know if he's hit the number. So we keep swinging a little bit. And then you get to his final swing. And Soto walks it off. And here's what that sounded like. And I was so glad I was able to text my brother and say, hmm, I wonder who said Juan Soto was going to win. Tied at 18. And another one to he, center. I think he did it. I think he went to 19. I would believe if not, this is 20, as a matter of fact. He keeps going. He's down on a knee. He's got it. Bat is flipped sky high. And Juan Soto is your 2022 Home Run Derby champion. And he wanted to be darn sure of it. It stays in the National League East. The Nationals celebrating with Juan Soto here at Dodger Stadium. 
What a show put on by these young hitters. The future is bright when it comes to power here. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Eduardo Perez, I didn't even think of that, but it does stay in the NL East because, of course, Pete Alonso, the two-time defending champ, was also from the NL East, and now Soto with the Nationals at least for a week, a couple more weeks or so. Um, what is it, the August 3rd trade deadline? We'll see if he gets traded then or not. Um, but I was just so glad I was able to text my brother and say, I told you he was going to win. He's like, yeah, you did say that. He's like, I never even heard of Juan Soto. My brother lives in a bubble, I swear. He doesn't even know who half the Yankee players are anymore. Um, but he'll bet on just ridiculous stuff. So anyway, I was proven right. I told him to throw 50 bucks on Soto, but he was like, oh, it would have only paid, you know, crap money or 250 or whatever. It was plus 600 when I saw it. When he texted me, it was like plus 450, of course, because um, he waited too long, but or he was trying to bet it right before and the odds went up. But either way, I was correct. And I'm actually tomorrow night, my league that I'm in on MLB, the show, we're having our first ever um, home run derby. And of course, I'm the Nationals and I will be using Juan Soto because I lead the league in home runs with Juan Soto. So that would be really cool if I can win the home run derby with Juan Soto. I think I have a pretty good chance because I do play a lot of home run derby online and offline. Um, when I have breaks sometimes at work, I'll play on the PC through xCloud and I just do offline home run derbies and it's all about the timing, especially when you're online, getting that timing down because the pitchers are pretty much down the plate. So you just got to really focus, press one button, get that timing down, and you could pretty much hit a home run almost every swing. So I do think I have a pretty good chance of winning that tomorrow night. We'll see how it goes. Okay, let's talk about the All-Star Game. The American League bested the National League for the ninth straight victory Really, really hard to believe, but yeah, the NL went up early to nothing. Well, actually, let me let me start over. Clayton Kershaw getting the start at Dodger Stadium never made a start at the All Star Game, so finally getting a chance to do that. He gives up a leadoff single to Shohei Otani off uh, off the first pitch, I believe. Just flared it, broken bat off the end of the bat, up the middle. And then Kershaw picks Otani off of first base. So that was a really cool moment. It just, I don't know how you get picked off of first base in the first inning. But anyway, so that was cool. And then the NL went up early um, off, I think, I want to say they scored off McClanahan. I believe that's who it was in like the very first inning. Mookie Betts, I, I think, had an RBI uh, single. I think Acuna led off with, an, with a double down the left field line. And then Betts drove him in. They ended up going up 2-0. And it was 2-0 until the fourth inning when the American League took the lead and didn't look back. Started, and it was started against the only pitcher, I believe, in baseball who does not have a loss going into the All-Star break. The pitcher that many said should have started the All-Star game, but in, well, no, not many people said he should have started the All-Star game. He had a good case Alcantara should have started the all-star game, but they gave it to this man's teammate in Clayton Kershaw. This being, of course, my fantasy stalwart, the best player on my fantasy team, Tony Gonsolin, who had an 0-2 count on Giancarlo Stanton when this happened. Helps keep him healthy. That ball 
is hammered to left center field. Goodbye. Two-run shot. Tie game. Right up to where he used to sit as a kid coming to games here at Dodger Stadium. And it's going to be exactly what I just said. We're going to see this replay. He doesn't move. It's all upper body balance. You hit off your legs, no doubt. But he got a rare two-strike pitch in the middle of the zone. And it was like he flipped. Just flipped. Ridiculous. The ball went unestimated 457 feet and had an exit velocity of 111.7 miles an hour. That being the hardest hit ball in an all-star game in the StatCast era, which of course that dating back to 2015, the very next batter was Byron Buxton and he went upstairs on a pitch way out of the zone. Games in a season for the second time in his career this year, trying to lead the Twins to the postseason. He turns on a ball and hits it a mile. Byron Buxton puts the AL in front. Two mammoth home runs. Stanton and now Buxton. Okay, yes. Yeah. So those two go back to back. The AL takes a three to two lead and they don't look back and they close down the door on the National League. Um, yeah, Buxton is a guy that many have said over the years that he has more tools and more physical, natural ability, athleticism than even Mike Trout, but he's not really been able to put it all together. Although he's having a pretty good season. I think this being his first all-star game health has always been an issue as well. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good all-star game. The uniforms though were, were, were trash. They got to go back to everybody just wearing their team uniform rather than these, you know, black and gold, whatever things they were wearing. Um, in the end, it was, of course, John Carlos Stanton winning MVP. Of course, he goes back home where he was born, right, where, where he grew up. Um, you heard on the, the call for that home run. Um, he hits it out in the seats where he used to sit as a kid because he spoke earlier about how he would sit out there. Um, he was mic'd up with Aaron Judge when they were both out in the outfield, and he was saying how the seats just behind him he used to sit um, some games in those seats right there. So pretty cool moment for Stan. Um, many said Buxton should have won MVP, but there's no Buxton giving the team, the AL, the lead if Stan doesn't tie it up. And it was just a mammoth blast, just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, AL wins again. Uh, Class A came in, Indians uh, reliever, and he sh struck out the side, got Jake Cronenworth to end it on up and in pitch. Uh, foul tipped into the glove. There were some cool moments um, with guys being mic'd up. You had Nasty Nestor on the mound with his catcher, Jose Trevino. Both guys were mic'd up and they were talking through the pitches. I thought that was a really cool wrinkle that added something cool to, to the mix. Um, of course, how do you not love Nestor Cortez? You know, he was giving us to different windups and the sidearm. And, you know, he had a clean inning and then, um, Jose Trevino just couldn't believe he was even an all-star. He got his first hit as an all-star. Um, so they saved that ball, just some really cool moments throughout, 
um, during the all-star game. It was a, it was a boring game, but you know, just the interviews and all that on field stuff where guys are mic'd up. It was just really cool. Albert Pujols being there playing in his final, you know, all-star game, this being his final year and everything. It, it was really cool. And then I read an even cooler story, um, about a pirates pitcher and a Mets reliever. So take a listen to this story. So, uh, first time all-star and closer for the pirates, David Bednar. He's actually, uh, on my fantasy team. He's been a stud for most of the year. Like I said, he's making his first all-star appearance pretty much anybody outside of Pittsburgh, unless you're like a fantasy nut like I am or really study baseball. Nobody knows who, who this guy is or who really any of these guys on the pirates, except for their shortstop. Who's throwing the ball hundred miles an hour across the diamond. So here's what happened. Bednar got a chance to pitch in the eighth inning because of a selfless act by Mets closer Edwin Diaz. So let me explain. It was it was basically going into these games, the managers have everything planned out. You're going to pitch this inning, this inning, you're going to pitch this inning. Obviously, if somebody gets in trouble and they need to bring somebody else in, then they'll go accordingly. But they were all they were all told ahead of time if you get up and and start warming up and then you're not brought into the game and you sit down, you're not getting into the game. So Bednar in that fourth inning that Gonsolin gave up those back-to-back home runs, got up they told him to get up and start warming up because he thought he, you know, he might go in the game if if uh, Gonsolin couldn't finish the inning. Well, Gonsolin finished the inning. Bednar then sat back down, and he figured his night was over. Well, in the eighth inning, that was supposed to be Edwin Diaz's inning. Well, uh, the staff who was managing this game, of course, the Braves, because they won the World Series, um, Brian Snitker wanted Diaz to pitch the eighth inning. But Edwin Diaz lobbied Braves bullpen coach Drew French to put not himself in, but he kept telling him, let Bednar pitch. He's a first timer. You know, who knows if he'll ever get back here. I've pitched in an all-star game back in 2018 with the Mariners. I know what it feels like. I've had that experience already, but let this guy have the experience. Just a really cool, selfless, selfless act. Um, So... When Drew French pointed at Bednar and said, you're in the game, he couldn't, he he had no idea. He couldn't believe it because he thought his night was done. And what a story it is for Bednar because he was drafted by the Padres back in 2016 out of Lafayette College in a round that no longer even exists in the amateur draft, the 35th. In January of 2021, the Padres traded him to Pittsburgh as part of a three-team deal that sent Joe Musgrove to the Padres. Bednar actually grew up in Mars, PA. Yes, that's a real place in Pennsylvania, which is just 25 miles north of Pittsburgh. And he had become a fan favorite while emerging as really one of the best closers in the game. And that's why it's crazy because he pitches in Pittsburgh that not many people know of him, but because he's on my fantasy team, you know, I know exactly who he is. So it was just an unbelievable selfless act. Um, it really struck first time all-star game manager, Brian Snicker, who even said that Pujols, Albert Pujols also told him that he's done this before and that he shouldn't worry about getting him in the game and to let guys that haven't been here before get their chance. Of course, Snitker, uh, I'd have done the same thing, wasn't about to be the manager that did not put Pujols in 
an all-star game in his final appearance. So he snuck him in there for an at-bat midway through the game. But Snicker reiterated afterwards that the willingness of the veteran all-stars to sacrifice playing time for first-timers, quote, was a really cool part of this whole thing. And it really was. And that's some of the things you have to take away as a losing team and just in general, just unbelievable. Because, you know, what Edwin Diaz did for that guy um, will not go unnoticed. And he'll remember that experience for the rest of his life. If he could blow out his arm tomorrow and never pitch again in the major leagues and never get a chance to pitch in an all-star game. And now he could tell his kids that, his grandkids, you know, he he could go to his grave, you know, die a happy man. It's just really awesome story. All right, the ESPYs were on last night, hosted by Steph Curry. I saw him taking a lot of jabs at LeBron and the Lakers, et cetera. It's all fanfare. I, I haven't watched in years. I don't know that anybody else watches, but just for, you know, shits and giggles, Otani won best male athlete and Katie Ledecky won best female athlete. So that's for anybody that actually cares about the ESPYs. I'm not going to get into anything else. All right, let's talk a little bit of football. I'm not getting into Madden ratings. I don't care about them right now. I'm as big a fan of the game as anybody. Um, Madden is my favorite, favorite, favorite video game of all time. So if anybody loves that game, it's me. But I'm over it with these Madden ratings. Najee Harris is all pissed off about his rating. Jalen Ramsey's like the top corner. Uh, you know, they rated the top the top wide receivers, Debo Samuel wasn't even there. Um, Jamar Chase wasn't in there. I get it. He's a second year guy, but Debo's got to be in the top. It's just some of the rankings are are just ridiculous, um, but those will be updated as we go on. But it, it, just get over your ranking for now. Like, it, relax, just relax. So we're not getting into that, but we will jump in and we will talk some football football. So we'll start with. Uh, you know, I, I talked a little football earlier with Kyler Murray and um, Josh Rosen, but that was more recent. The 49ers have finally, now that his, you know, shoulder or whatever it was, has healed properly. The 49ers have given Jimmy G permission to look for a trade. They're fully prepared to go into this season with Trey Lance as their quarterback. However, it's slim pickings for for Jimmy G at this point. Um after Mayfield was traded to Carolina, I mean, we could have a situation where Sam Darnold is is not happy and now wants out of Carolina. So he could be looking for new teams before we know it. So really, it's slim pickings. A couple teams that come to mind are like Houston and maybe Seattle. I know Drew Locke is... Uh, Seattle's a big uh, a mess right now. But um, if nobody trades for him, which is quite possible uh, the Niners will likely release him on August 30th, 30th. So keep an eye out for, for any news on that. James Harden. Oh man, what a good guy. He re-signed with the Sixers for less money. He's such a team first guy. He was quoted earlier this week as saying, uh, you know, to, to the front office, do what you guys got to do to sign guys and then pay me whatever's left over. Yeah, all this in pursuit of a championship. Mm-hmm. Where have I heard this before? Oh, he got fat and and pushed his way out of Houston to come to Brooklyn, all in, in the sake of winning a championship. Oh, yeah, he lasted real long in Brooklyn, all in pursuit of a championship. And then he screwed two franchises by getting himself traded to 
Philadelphia, where they got knocked out in what the second round and the Nets got knocked out in the first round. So neither team benefited last year. So now he's all about pursuing a championship. So he's like, spend as much money you need to sign other guys and then pay me what's left over. Well, apparently what was left over was $68.6 million over two years. The second year of the deal is a player option and gives Harden more security while giving the team more flexibility. So we'll see after one year, he'll be fighting and clawing to to, to have his way out and go to another team, probably the Lakers with LeBron, because they just keep getting older and older and older. And speaking of the Lakers, oh, excuse me, one more point on Harden. Um, Yeah, so he's getting 68.6 over two years. Um and the player option, which he declined because he's such a nice guy, would have been $47.4 million for this upcoming season. Speaking of the Lakers, I talk, talked about it briefly last week or the week before, how Re- Russell Westbrook fired his longtime agent. Then there was reports that him and LeBron went to a summer league game and they didn't even speak. Well, apparently they had a players only meeting, the three, him, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, either on FaceTime or whatever the hell over the phone. And they decided to hash things out and basically all agreed to work together and make this thing work. So who the hell knows what that means? Because we're hearing Kyrie for Westbrook straight up type deals. And now these guys are saying they're going to try to work it out and make things you know, work in LA. So I don't know. All right. So Joe, Le- Joe Lacob or Lacob, whatever his name is, the, the billionaire owner of the Golden State Warriors championship, Golden State Warriors was on one of his players, new podcasts called Point Forward, that being Andre Ugudala. He co-hosts this podcast with Evan Turner. Well, LaCobb was discussing the league's collective bargaining talks, which included him describing the league's luxury tax system as very unfair. So these comments on a podcast actually got him fined $500,000. But don't feel too bad for LaCobb. He's worth about $1.5 billion. And then I think it was at the ESPYs, um, Andre Ugadala. It was a pretty funny moment, actually. He went up on stage, um, I guess, with the Warriors for winning something, winning the championship or whatever, his best team probably or whatever. And he had this to say. I just came up here to um, promote my podcast, Point Forward, with my man Evan Turner. Um, We just got Joe Laker fined $500,000. I'm sorry, Joe. So yeah, that's kind of funny. I'm sure he actually does feel feel a little bad about that. Um, but like I said, Lakeup can can handle it no no problem. All right, uh, here's an interesting signing coming out of the NFL. The Buccaneers have a new Gronk replacement, possibly. Um, it is twelve year, I believe, twelve year NFL veteran Kyle Rudolph. One of the greats out of Notre Dame, signing a one-year deal with the Bucks. He played 16 games with the Giants last season, catching 26 balls for 257 yards and one touchdown. Um, they've still got, I believe, um, Cameron Brait 
and OJ Howard there. So this is a sneaky good move because Rudolph is a very good blocking tight end and he's going to really get down and dirty in the trenches and help block for 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 TB12. So uh, that's not a bad signing, actually, if he can stay healthy. All right, back to baseball. The Diamondbacks DFA'd Dallas Keuchel. That means they designated him for assignment, which basically means they released him. This after he was already DFA'd by the White Sox earlier this season. Keuchel is, I couldn't believe this. He's still just like 33, 34 years old, has started uh, started four games with Arizona going 0-2 with a 9.64 ERA. Overall this season, he's 2-7 with an 8.53 ERA and a 2.033 whip through 50 and two-thirds innings pitched. Really a, a, a huge fall from grace. I, I mean, he this we're talking about a guy that was beating the Yankees not too long ago in, in wild-card playoff games. So it's just... It's it's unbelievable, in my opinion, that a guy like this in, in just such, such a short time um, could fall off a, as much as he has. But, you know, that's what happened a um, few years back. I don't know if it was through COVID or what. He signed, I think that was the year he signed with the Braves because he was just working out for teams. It was weeks into the season. I don't know if that was during the COVID. That might have been before the COVID season. But ever since then, he kind of became this big, he thought he was this big hot shot, and he lost a ton of speed. He was only throwing it at like 88. And if he didn't have any sort of movement, it was just batting practice. And that's pretty much where he's at now. So we'll see. Maybe someone will sign him still. Lefty pitchers are, are you know, huge commodity. In baseball. All right. Another sad story out of this time, the NBA with a player um, beating his wife or girlfriend, uh, Miles Bridges, Hornets forward, actually a very good player, averaged 20 and seven last year, really starting to take strides and help the Hornets get to the playoffs. Well, he's possibly going to jail and will probably, if I had to guess, he won't play at all next season. He'll probably he might be suspended and then possibly come back in 2024, maybe. Who knows? Um, but he's facing domestic violence, child abuse uh, charges after uh, I believe this was a June 29th arrest, so almost a month ago. According to the criminal complaint, Bridges allegedly assaulted his girlfriend in front of their two children on or about June 27th and 28th. He is scheduled back in court, I want to say August 18th, and he could face up to like 11 years if, if convicted. But this is an ongoing matter, so I will try and report back with more news as it comes in. Um, it's about time Major League Baseball settled with minor league players in court on Monday for an estimated $185 million. I really don't even think that's enough. This was a long-standing lawsuit alleging labor violations. I, I mean, it's just dis despicable and disturbing what these players have to go through trying to chase their dreams. Minor leaguers claim they made less than minimum wage, and they are not wrong. Of course, MLB, you know, these owners are worth billions of dollars, and they're literally minor leaguers make between forty eight hundred dollars, four thousand eight hundred dollars, 
and $14,700 per year. Only They only get paid during their respective seasons. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. If you are a minor league baseball player and you didn't weren't a top draft pick or have Scott Boris as your agent and get a signing bonus of a couple million dollars like these these kids just got on Monday night in the draft or whatever they signed for how you're you're able to live you're no you're not you're living with mom and dad in the off season and you're grinding and grinding because baseball's an all-around sport in the winter you have to hone your craft and you have to practice in the batting cages and indoor facilities. There's always something going on. And how are they supposed to work a job on top of their job? It's just absurd. This isn't high school or college where, you know, college, they don't even, they don't even work for God's sakes. Maybe some of them do, but I mean, it's ridiculous. You can't become a pro athlete if you have to worry about survivability. So it's just ridiculous, but this has been going on for years. I think it really came to a head throughout COVID and all that, that stuff, but you've seen it over the years, um, pictures coming through on social media of what these guys are, you know, getting for meal money and what they have to eat and what they have to endure on a day to day. It's just absurd. It's the most neglected part of the sport and really might be the most neglected, um, minor league sport that there is out there uh, because it's, it's sad. I did not know that they made this little, I knew it was, it was low, but to make between four, less than $5,000 and, and, and 15,000, $14,700. And they're only being paid throughout the you know the season come on man that's ridiculous they're bringing in these minor league facilities like the savannah bananas you can't tell me that that team doesn't rake in money with all the entertainment and and stuff that they do i just saw a video like yesterday they were making fun of pete alonzo who was lifting um doing legs in between the home run derby when he was waiting getting his swings in and they you know that they they had the weights out there and one of the batters was was on deck and he was lifting and then he went up to bat and and got a base hit up the middle but that that team the savannah bananas is all about entertaining the families and the masses and they rake in money so you can't tell me they can't pay these players a decent livable salary i mean it's ridiculous these guys should be making at minimum 50 to $60,000, something that is livable. I mean, you have major league players that are making hundreds of millions of dollars and you have started to see some of these major leaguers actually giving these minor leaguers, you know, some money, um, which is cool as well, but it's just a broken system. And it's really comes down to the owners and Rob Manfred, who is just a punching bag. I get it for the owners, but I just, he's horrible. I can't, I can't stomach him. So I'm glad these minor leaguers got at least some some bit of money back. And then when you hear about what I'm going to talk about next with the NIL money pouring in, it, it makes you really feel for these baseball players because these are collegiate athletes who haven't even been drafted yet, yet these baseball players have been drafted and they can't even make 20 grand. Well, here's a story for you. A booster club at Texas Tech, not Texas who just signed Arch Manning, 
No, not that that place. Not Alabama, not Ohio State, not one of the big, big dogs, but Texas Tech, a booster club at Texas Tech, is going to pay 100 players, including walk-ons. Walk-ons are not scholarship players. They are going to play all 100 players $25,000 in exchange for community service, which is probably nothing, and to show up as ambassadors at events. So these are probably high-end events just to show them off to their rich friends or or whatever, or these charity events or whatever it may be. It's nothing. They're getting 25 grand each college football players and minor league baseball players can't even get uh, $15,000. It's absurd. And this is Texas Tech, ladies and gentlemen. Imagine what a Texas uh, LSU, uh, USC, right? All the big Nike has, I mean, Oregon has Nike. They could be raking in money there. You know, Florida's, Miami's, Ohio State's, it, Texas Tech paying players $25,000. Oh, oh my God, God is right. All right, let's talk MLB draft because that was really. Um, the big headliner this week on Monday. And it was a really historic MLB draft, a really cool one. The first three picks were actually really intriguing. Um, right off the bat, you had two sons of former MLB All-Stars going one and two at the top of the draft. Jackson Holiday, of course, the son of seven-time All-Star outfielder Matt Holiday, was taken first overall by the Orioles. I always loved Matt Holiday. Loved it when he came to the Yankees um, for, for a brief stint. Uh, just a just a fan favorite everywhere he went. But Holiday joins Ken Griffey Jr. as the only other son of a major leaguer to be drafted number one. So that's really, really cool. His high school numbers are insane, too. He played, at, I want to say, some prep school in um, Stillwater, Oklahoma. He broke the high school hits record, once held by JT Real Muto, catcher with the Phillies, with 89 hits in 41 games. Absolutely absurd. He hit a whopping 685 with 29 doubles, six triples, 17 home runs, and 79 RBIs. Unreal. Then coming in at number two was Drew Jones, the son of former great Andrew Jones. Um, I remember when Andrew Jones broke in to the Braves when he was just 18 years old. He was, I think at the time, the youngest ever major league baseball player. He was just, I mean, what a player Andrew Jones was. Another guy that briefly came to the Yankees towards the end of his career. Then at number three, we heard Jeff Passan and a bunch of others start throwing out there that all of a sudden Kumar Rocker is now flying up draft boards and all of a sudden, boom. Kumar Rocker is drafted at number three. Remember, Kumar Rocker was drafted 10th overall by the Mets last year. They couldn't come to terms on on him signing. The Mets end up losing out on the pick, and he decides, I'm taking a year off. I'm going to go work on my craft and pitch a little bit in independent ball and then come back and get drafted this year. And the team that drafted him, none other 
than the Texas Rangers, who took his running mate from a season ago at Vanderbilt. Of course, they won a national championship there. Um, And they both go two and three in back-to-back years, just kind of crazy. A year after he was drafted 10th, he takes the year off, and he comes back, and he's drafted third overall. Big kid. Um, His father played, what, in the NFL, I want to say, and he could really sling it. So um, Texas could be a scary team in a few years. This draft was also very historic, not just for the top of the draft, but what took place throughout the first round. It's the first time ever that four sons of former major leaguers went in the first round. The two I already mentioned in Holiday and and um, Jones, Drew Jones. The other two were Justin Crawford, son of Carl Crawford, who went at 17 and Right after him at 18 was Cam Collier, son of former big leaguer Lou Collier. So very interesting, very cool. Um, yeah, MLB draft is always fun to see, you know, where some of the local guys go that you know. And um, we'll be hearing about some of these guys in, in, in a few short years. All right, finally, we can get to my story of the week that I wanted to talk about. Um, and it has to do with someone you've probably never heard of, as I had not either. So this week's story is about a woman by the name of Sherry Pollux. She is the longtime partner or girlfriend of um, 2017 NASCAR Cup Series champion Martin Truex Jr. She has beaten cancer three times, yet somehow it just keeps coming back. It's really just an insane story and you really feel for her. This woman works out regularly, does daily yoga and eats as clean as anyone you will ever see. Although I highly doubt she eats cleaner than I do. Um, but just saying yet she is still insanely sick. And if you walked by her on the street, you would just assume you're walking by an extremely fit, healthy young woman in her forties. But deep down, when you go through all the scans and you really look under the hood, it tells a very, very different story. Um, Doctors at this point don't know what to do, and that's never a good sign. She's been through X amount of drugs, has recovered, like I said, three times. And yet, for some reason, the cancer just keeps coming back. But this is only the beginning of Sherry's story and her fight for survival. This really all started back in 2014 when she was then diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer and given a 30% chance of survival over the next five years. She was 35 then. She's now 43. And at one time, she was in remission for nearly three years. But now for Sherry, she is in the fight of her life ever since her cancer returned to last year and has stubbornly stuck around and is really starting to spread significantly. Um, As scared as she may be, she's not ready to give up. She really has faith that there is a treatment plan out there for her. There are options and that hopefully she can get it under control. Um, So last September, doctors found her cancer had come back this time spreading to her lung. 
Um, this was problematic because she had just finished the latest round of chemo a few months before, and it meant that her cancer was what's known as platinum resistant, which is cancer that at first responds to drugs that contain platinum, but then returns a short time later. Also, because this was so close to her last treatment, it greatly narrowed the available pool of drugs doctors could try next. Yeah, probably because her body was still so weak and recovering from all that chemo treatment. Um, so she elected to take a more holistic and alternative um, sort of treatment options and, and try to go that route. But unfortunately, that didn't work either as further scans showed the cancer had spread yet again. So she went to Texas for full body hypothermia treatment, which is supposed to use heat to destroy cancer cells and reduce tumor size. And she started on a low dose oral chemo to go with her integrative medicine. Yet the cancer still spread. At this point, all options are now on the table. Um, she's really kind of running out of options, but she's even considering this is what happens. You get you get to this point it's you're you're trying to survive and she's she's up against it she's she's not she's a fighter she's not going to give up she's considered going to istanbul uh, turkey where a doctor there has some outside the box treatments for ovarian cancer patients but what complicates things for her is the fact that the cancer is mostly in her lung however it's slowly starting to make its way across her diaphragm and is also in some of her lymph nodes this poses a huge set of problems because her diaphragm has already been resected twice and is much smaller than a healthy person's would be. And it's also how you breathe. It's an essential part of, of breathing. So further surgery is not an option. They can't resect it anymore or she won't be able to breathe. So while she awaits more test results, doctors have basically just told her to try to enjoy life and, and go about life, you know, and, and do the best she can. She's not in any pain, thankfully, right now, but she also can't exactly enjoy life, obviously, when she knows a tumor is basically growing inside of her with each passing moment of each day. Um, it's just incredible. So she has been a part of the well, Martin Truex Jr. Foundation has really been a huge part. Um, they hold a, their, an annual catwalk for a cause charity every uh, September 14th. It's a fashion show which features NASCAR drivers walking with pediatric cancer patients. And last year, actually, they raised more than $600,000 just last year alone. Um, the catwalk's been around since 2010, so even before Sherry's own diagnosis, but she's kind of become the centerpiece now, um, at, at, you know, the inspiration for both the catwalk kids as well as other ovarian cancer patients, of course. Um, she's she's started to become pretty much a spokesperson and pioneer for potential treatment options since doctors say there's no textbook on her situation and she, and she really is determined to do whatever it takes to save her life. Um, she went on to talk about ovarian cancer. It, the treatment options haven't really changed in 30 years. It's not one of the more common cancers, which she joked, not joked, but she kind of said she wishes she had one of the more common cancers, which doctors know how to treat more so. Um, but, you know, she's just been taking it one day at a time. She wonders if 
this is her purpose in life, if this is her plan to go through all this, whether she lives or dies, so that she can pave the way for other women um, to really shine a light on ovarian cancer and raise money and awareness so that they can build on treatment options and save, you know, somebody's life down, down the line. Um, it's just an incredible story. She's an incredible woman. Um, I don't know that if I was going through a situation such as hers that I'd be able to still work out, eat as clean as she's eating, do yoga every day and just stay sane. I would probably wither away in bed and just give up on life. But, um, you know, I applaud anyone that goes through cancer or has it because it is no joke. There's no rhyme or reason for it. Uh, my 89 year old grandmother was diagnosed about eight months ago. Um, so she's battling it. I know what it's like firsthand seeing someone go through chemo, you know, every couple of weeks, it, it's just, it destroys you and, and to keep coming out and to keep fighting and to keep battling for as long as she has battled. Just, I can't even imagine, you know, you go into remission for nearly three years and think it's over, and yet it comes back a third time or a fourth time. And she's not even 45 years old. She's still a young, healthy woman. It's just disgusting. It's disturbing how cancer works, how some people get it, others don't, how kids can get it, how, you know, anybody, any age can get cancer. I, I just, it's baffling to me. And it really is, it makes you wonder, you know, sometimes if there's, if there's really a higher power out there that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but science is, you know, improving each and every day. And, and hopefully one day we have that cure for cancer, but, um, you know, I wish, I wish Sherry Pollock's nothing but the best. She's a, a winner already in my book, whether, you know, she makes it through, through, um, this or not, the conversation has already been started. And it's all, like I said, it's only a matter of time before, you know, we find a cure for this. I myself have Crohn's disease, not even remotely close to cancer, but it can be a very debilitating disease. Many people have had, um, you know, to have their colons removed or to have their intestines, you know, taken out where they're on a colostomy bag, which is no joke. I've been in the hospital going, you know, through tough times before. Luckily that was, hasn't happened in years now, but I take medication, you know, weekly and daily. And, um, you just never know when, when you're, you know, I was a perfectly healthy 20 something year old kid, you know, early twenties. And then I just started going through, you know, having severe, severe abdominal pain, thought maybe it was my appendix. Nope. Turns out it's this uncurable, um, autoimmune disorder that can't be cured, but I eat healthy every day. I've gone gluten-free and I truly believe that a lot of the causes of these cancers and these diseases and everything else that, that that's wrong. What, what number one, one is age. Um, as we get older, our body can't fight off as many diseases and, you know, and things of that nature or infections. Um, that's one, but number two, I truly believe the water, um, as well as, cause it's been, it's been length water in, in certain parts of certain states and different places absolutely cause cancer. 
Uh, there's also been links, uh, in my opinion, I believe it's between the water and the processed foods that we're eating in this country. Um, obesity, you look all time high. Um, it, it, kids are exercising less and less. We're seeing more sedentary lifestyles amongst kids than we've ever seen in human history. Um, test kids in, in elementary, middle, and high school. I bet one in every four or five has scoliosis because they're hunched over at a desk, you know, at a desk playing video games or, or, or sitting hunched over, you know, in their bed on, on the cell phone or on the iPad or on the computer, bad posture, um, not getting outside, not exercising, obesity, families. I'm on vacation here in the Myrtle Beach area. It's a big uh, destination vacation spot. You have to go to dinner between 4.30 and 5 and sometimes earlier because we got home late from golf, tried to get pizza, and we're calling to order around 6 o'clock. Nobody's answering. My mom had to go there. They could only make my gluten-free pizza. It would have been an hour wait to make a large plain pie. So she had to order from another place around the corner, which was a 45-minute wait. And it ended up being more like an hour because the place was mobbed. Nobody stays home anymore. Nobody cooks. Granted, I get it. People are on vacation. But this is also a place where people live. You can't tell me that people are not... Are, are, are can't stay home and cook a meal for their family. Everybody eats out three, four, five nights a week. It's got to stop. So yeah, do I 100% think that these companies and these fast food chains and all this processed meat and fake meat and, and, and just all this other stuff, you, you, you can't tell me they're not cutting corners to mass produce this stuff and the way they feed these cows and these chickens and these, you know, corn-fed diets to fatten up these animals. It's just, it, it, none of it's good. None of it's good. And you hear, you know, a vegetarian diet is good. Now I'm hearing a carnivore diet is is better. It's just, so, so be vigilant. And, and you know, if you want to live into your 80s and your 90s and even become a centenarian or whatever the hell they call it and live till 100, Watch what you put in your body. I, when I was diagnosed with Crohn's, I believe it was probably one of the best things for me because it, it, it allowed me to stop eating the foods I was eating. I would go, you know, especially in college, me and my friends would go to Taco Bell at 2 a.m. We would always know, oh, Taco Bell closes at 2 a.m. Let's jump in the car. Let's go there at 1.30, get some Taco Bell, run home, and we could play video games to 3, 4 in the morning, sometimes 5 in the morning, et cetera. And we would do this on like a nightly basis and I would eat McDonald's and, and when I, you know, it started when I pretty much got my driver's license at 18, just, you know, where do you want to drive to? You're young. You just get your drive. You just want to drive. Where do you drive to? Oh, you know, you don't have that much money. You go to a fast food restaurant. So it would be McDonald's, Wendy's. I love the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. My God, was that amazing. Loved it. And Taco Bell was right next door. Boom. Bing, bang, boom. Hitting them all. And then in college, of course, you've got the dining hall. You've got free meals. All you can eat, whenever you can eat. The dining halls would have takeout for dinner so you could go. And oh, some of those nights, you would bring home tubs of chicken wings and chicken nuggets and 
French fries like you couldn't imagine. You would just stuff your face in your dorm room with takeout to go. The line would wrap around the door like they were giving food away for free. Insane. So yes, I truly believe that all this processed food, processed sugar is no good for you. Um, so watch what you're putting into your body. Soda, sugar, uh, fried foods is really bad for you. So just please take it easy because you never know. Cancer can hit anyone at any age. And as you get older, you might think you're invincible when you're younger, which most of us are. But as you get older, that's when problems start to form. You could be as healthy as a horse like I was in my young 20s in the best shape of my life. And then boom, one day it just hits you and changes your life forever. All right. So I think that was enough of me going on and on about this and being a little dreary and, and doomsday-like, but we're at the end. So final final thoughts, uh, final segment on to this date in sports. Take it back to July 22nd, 1990, two years before I was born. Nick Faldo wins the Open at St. Andrews, setting the major championship scoring record with a blistering 18 under par. That record would later be tied by Tiger at the 97 Masters, and broken by Tiger, finishing 19 under at the 2000 Open Championship, also at St. Andrews. It's funny because Cameron Smith just won the Open at St. Andrews, and I want to say he finished above even that at like 21 under. So, um, yeah, it's just amazing how far the sport has come as a whole. And, you know, it, with the live golf now and everything else going on, but... um it, you know, golf is one of those sports. It's starting to explode. I think COVID was really had had a had a really uh, big part in that. Uh, Smith actually finished twenty under par at St Andrews um, to win the British Open, and becoming just the second player to win the Players and British Open in the same year. Of course, Jack being the other one to do that. So. Uh, yeah, that should wrap it up. If you haven't had a chance, go watch The Captain with Derek Jeter. That aired two episodes so far. Um, that was after the all, uh, Home Run Derby. And part two aired yesterday. I have yet to go watch that, but I'll jump on ESPN Plus probably tomorrow. And I'll sit down with uh, my dad and probably watch that at some point. I need to hit up a driving range and figure out what's going on with my swing tomorrow. Um, what else is going on? Um, I said the Yankees won. The Blue Jays put up 27 runs. Um, what else is going on? I feel like there's something else I'm missing. Let's see. Oh, Vince McMahon is retiring as WWE chairman and CEO. Um, it came out recently that he paid off some women for some sexual harassment or assault stuff that went on there uh, from years ago. Let's see. Um, all right. I don't know. It's we're 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 far into this podcast. So anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed this this one a little bit better than even last week's episode, which I think I kind of like rushed into a little bit. I got a better setup here in the bedroom um, today for this episode. So um, should have came out well. Uh, I'm I'm happy with, with it. So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, if there's anything you guys want me to talk about or, or dive into 
in next week's episode, just shoot me a DM or message me on Twitter. I get a lot of messages on Instagram and Twitter. Sometimes I don't always see them because I'm not one of those guys that's always on my phone 100%. And I've been a little bit busy down here. Like I said, I'm on vacation, so I'm golfing. I'm always doing something at different times or another. So uh, tomorrow I should have some downtime. So if you want to hit me up or whatever, go ahead. Um, I might jump on. It's it's getting late, but I might jump on, play some video games with the boys because I did bring my Xbox. So uh, we'll see. But hope you guys enjoyed episode 178 of This Week in Sports. I'm the Pody signing out. See everybody next week.